I'll just give you a small preview. We, of course, have finished our study in Ephesians before the Christmas holiday, and uh, we're going to be starting up studying the ministry of Jesus Christ. We have had a few times where we have touched on this for maybe anywhere between four weeks and maybe up to two months, and uh, we're going to be into it for a longer period of time. We're focusing on communion today. The message, uh, t- the message title is The Bread of Life, and so everything we're doing is directing us there, but in God's perfect timing and His plan, really where we're going to be at in God's Word is right where we would pick up the ministry of Jesus Christ. So beginning next Sunday, I am very excited about studying uh, the life of Christ and how He was able to interact with His followers while He was here and what that means for us. We're going to see a bit of that. We won't get into a small few verses, but we're going to cover a large passage today to hopefully prepare us for the area of communion. Before we do that, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts with me again for prayer. Father, we admittedly come to this place with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, many people carrying burdens a heavy load, some things that we don't talk about, some things that we want and need to talk about. We praise you, God, that we can worship. We thank you for receiving our worship. We thank you for giving us your perfect word. We praise you for the command of observing um, communion and remembering your shed blood and your broken body for us. And we would ask, God, that you will allow us to very clearly and very intentionally be directed right to that time where we can worship you through that remembrance. Bless your word now as we study it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am oftentimes interested in how certain expressions get to be popular. Some of them are very odd. They can teach us quite a bit about history. Maybe depending on your generation, you'll have a better handle on where some expressions came from. And oftentimes, even if people don't know what they mean, they have staying power. There's one expression that likely most of you have used or else you've used some kind of a form of it, and it's this expression here, the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, we don't see camels too often around our town. I think there were a few that were around for nativity scenes, living nativity scenes in the past month, but we don't see camels too often. So that's not something that would flow out of us with a lot of intention except for the expression that has gained popularity. If you haven't used that expression, maybe you've used the expression, the last straw. That was the last straw. I'm going to point us today to um, a couple different themes in our time in God's Word. And this can be kind of a subtitle to the sermon. If you're taking notes and you want to give a subtitle to it, you can put down the words, big picture, small picture. Today we're going to look and we're going to see a big picture And by the way, the big picture, small picture is completely from our point of view. When we talk about what's big and what's small, sometimes we talk about it's hard for us when it's big or it's easy when it's small. And I have to bring this up because there is absolutely nothing that is difficult or hard for God. There is no prayer request that's bigger or harder. There is no miracle that he's going to do that takes some more of his strength and wisdom and power. Nothing is big or small to God. It's all the same. 
So understand as we approach this idea of big picture and small picture, it has to do a whole lot with how we are viewing what's taking place in the Bible. When we use that phrase, that was the last straw, or it was the straw that broke the camel's back, it makes sense. Because if you've ever seen anybody kind of give up on something, and you'll find, and somebody will oftentimes say something that was wrong. There was a problem there. They'll say, well, that was the last straw. Well, someone wouldn't quit over this, would they? No, but it was the last straw. Or it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think that we see a good, good connection to that idea of big picture, small picture. Because if it's a small straw, but it broke the camel's back, clearly they're viewing that little tiny thing as something bigger than it should be. If you are going to be a part of something outside of yourself that's bigger than yourself, something may be important, then you're going to have to have a handle on what's a big deal and what's not that big of a deal. You know, we are unique as a church family and then we have several people that are very heavily involved with volunteer organizations outside of our church. It takes a lot to keep things running within the church family here, but we have multiple people that are very involved with great organizations. And when you get plugged into an organization like that as a volunteer, you have to answer this question. Is this a deal breaker for me? That's another expression we use. Is this a deal breaker? Or is this the final straw to where I'm going to pull out? If you want to be part of something bigger than yourself, and I hope you do, then you're going to have to say, what is a big deal? What is a small deal? Something bigger than ourselves oftentimes can be family. When you think of family, uh, the relationship of a husband and wife, and children, parents, all the things that go along with this. Sometimes you might say to yourself, if you get to the end, you might say, that was the last straw, or that was the deal breaker. And that's a big deal with family. Even as we observe something like a church, which is made up of mostly volunteers. Oftentimes, people will view something and it's a bother to them, but sometimes they can let it go. Other times, it might be the last straw, might be a deal breaker. We're gonna be talking about bread today. The title of the message is The Bread of Life. And it's appropriate for us to talk about this because of the several times that bread is mentioned in John chapter six. If you're not already there, please turn to John chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to borrow one of the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home. Keep that as a gift. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and we're going to be in several verses, um, and that's intentional just to take us to the area of communion. But they all are around this theme of bread. Bread is mentioned several times. We'll look at at least two of them specifically. But we find bread mentioned in the feeding of the 5,000, which that's 5,000 men, so likely more than 10,000 people were there. So an incredible miracle that takes place. We also find bread mentioned at the crowd. So the crowd, after they had been fed, were following after Jesus. He's trying to get away from them, actually. And they're following after Christ, and they come to him, and they say, we want you to show us another sign. And they even say, hey, One of our heroes, Moses, back in the day, he was able not to just make bread for one meal, but they had it miraculously every day for our people. Bread comes up there. And then, of course, Jesus says, and this is a big picture, 
I am the bread of life. And then also we find Jesus asking a question about the bread where he says, where are we going to buy bread? And we'll get into the disciple that he talked to about that in just a moment. And what we're going to learn from this passage in in John chapter 6 is really there's two lessons. There's two sides to this one coin. And here are the lessons. Each of us needs to have a big picture understanding of Jesus Christ. So the big picture of Christ, who he is, why he came, and what that means for you and me. But then the other side of that coin is as big as Jesus Christ is, he is God, as wonderful as all his work was, we also need to have a very intimate picture or a personal picture of Jesus Christ. I hesitate to use the word small because it makes it sound like it's not important. It is important. In fact, when you start to think about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just that he came to save the world, that he's the son of God, when you think of your personal walk with Christ, there is something very sweet and very special that I hope you take away from our time in John chapter six today. So the big picture understanding of Christ, he is God, he is the savior of the world. That personal understanding of Christ, that God wants to stretch you in your faith. Is that very loving? Is that very kind? That God wants to stretch you? Couldn't you come up with a better plan than that? Because when you're stretched, that means you're going to sometimes have to sweat. Sometimes you're going to have bruises and pain. When you get stretched, there's a reason for that. And wonderfully, God, who knows all things, including exactly how much you can take before saying, that's the final straw. Before saying, that's a deal breaker, God gives you just the right amount of grace to get through every step that he will guide you down. And he's active and he's present through all of that. Let me say just a few words about bread. When we think of bread, we understand that bread is a staple All right, now folks that like to watch their carbohydrates, the bread is kind of the enemy of you people. I understand that. But bread in our food system is a staple. A person can live for a very, very long time on just bread and water. They can survive for a long time. When we use the word bread, oftentimes it's a synonym for food in general. Sometimes we will use the term, let's break bread together in order to um, share a meal with someone. When we come to John chapter 6, we find Jesus Christ saying, I am the bread of life. Now, let me just camp out on this just for a second. This phrase that he says, I am the bread of life, this is one of seven I am statements that Jesus will actually give. And when Jesus took those small words, I am, and then tagged something onto the end of it, what he's doing is he's teaching us a tremendous lesson about his relationship towards the world. Each of those I am statements is found in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 6, verse 35, we see this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is a big picture statement. But if I can just go ahead and um, add to that, I would say there's a whole lot of small picture stuff that might go along. In fact, as Jesus Christ says the words, if you come after me, you're not going to hunger anymore. 
If you've been studying God's word for any amount of time, you understand that even if you're a Christian, you still have to go to the grocery store and buy some food, right? You've got to have, you know, meals a day, whether it's two or three or five or six. You've got to still eat throughout the day. So when Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life, whoever comes after me will no longer hunger, if you've had a chance to read through it, you'll understand that he wasn't saying you're not going to have to go look for any more food. I'm going to take care of all of that. And yet, can you understand why some people in the crowd would think that? Can you see why there were some that were following him at this time of this multitude and why they thought, oh boy, here we go. This guy is going to be the next, maybe the next high priest, maybe the next, maybe the next king. Let's get in with this guy. And while the disciples had a little bit of a better picture of what Jesus was, it was not completely clear until well after his crucifixion and resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. So when we talk about this group, the crowds, the multitude, there are some things that we can learn from them. And today, when we come to the end, I'm going to pose the question, which group do you belong to? Are you the group that is seeing the big picture? You're interested in the fact that God made all things, that God came down from heaven, took on flesh, lived a life, proved that he was God, died on a cross, and then conquered death. That's why we celebrate Easter. Came out of the tomb, and that Jesus Christ wonderfully, wonderfully allows us to be a part of that big picture. Or are you one that's just looking at the small picture, the personal picture? And there's two ways to look at that smaller picture. One of them is the way the crowds looked at it. They didn't see Jesus Christ as the Messiah that they were looking for. They didn't see him that way at all. They just saw him as maybe a meal ticket, maybe something to help them with the oppression from Rome that they were experiencing. The crowds only saw the food program and the possibility of an earthly king. And we see at least three times in John chapter 6 that Jesus Christ, when this crowds, they wanted to take him and make him king right away. At least three times we find that he's trying to get away from them. It's there in the first couple verses. Jesus is trying to get away from that crowd. I think it's in verses 14 and 15, and then again in 24 and 25. Christ isn't interested in being around the crowd. And there's another instance where the disciples are trying to find him the next day. Wait a minute. We've got to keep this momentum going. There's something amazing that's going to be happening. And Jesus Christ had something very, very big planned, and it did not involve necessarily those crowds being a part of it. I referenced this earlier. Look with me in John chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. And this is what the crowds are looking for. This is what they want out of Jesus Christ. Not a Messiah, But instead, look in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do do that we may see you and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus kind of says there, this isn't going to be a food program. And along with it, he says, my father gives you the true bread. That's big picture. 
You should be looking for a Savior, for a Messiah. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. The crowd had it wrong. And then we can look at a smaller group that had it a little more right, but they were only focused on something very small. And you have to keep in mind, we read our Bible with hindsight. We see the complementary passages, and we know what's important and what's not important oftentimes, what to give more emphasis to. His disciples didn't know that. So if I can take you to the first part of John chapter 6, and if I can point you to two of his disciples and what they went through, and before we look at that, let me remind you, Jesus always had the big picture in mind. He knew that he had come to this earth to die. He knew his work of redemption that was ahead of him, and yet Jesus Christ, please don't miss this, Jesus Christ always had time for the personal work with someone. We're going to see that with Philip. We're going to see that with Andrew. And it's been my prayer that you will see it with yourself. The big picture. Salvation is available to man. The more personal picture. That what is available to you is a God who is not just there for eternity, but he is there for tomorrow. He's there for this coming week. We have a God who is so personal that he knows everything that will happen and he has all power and he has a good plan. And so as we approach the elements today, I hope you see the big picture and I hope you see the personal picture. John chapter 6, I'm going to read the first seven verses. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. All right, let's stop there. When we look at Philip, by the way, you can say, hi, Philip, if you want to. Hi, Philip. And the reason you can say that is because you don't get to say hello to Philip very often. We don't see very much of him. He doesn't get near as much talk as Peter gets and even as John and James get. We know very little about Philip, and yet we know that he was a follower of Christ. He would be important to the starting of the church. And we know this, Jesus Christ took some time to spend with Philip. And did you catch what it said? Jesus Christ goes and asks this question. Now, all right, class, I say this every once in a while. Let's see if you remember. Did Jesus ever ask a question because he needed to know an answer, yes or no? No, he did not. Always the benefit of any question that Jesus ever asked is always in the person who he is asking the question or who is listening. So he asked Philip this question, and wonderfully, God tells us he did this to test him. He did this to stretch him, if I can use that word. Philip's lesson was coming, and I would ask this of you. Do you think that Jesus did this to test him because Jesus was, had a little bit of an ornery bone in him? Was Jesus just teasing him a little bit? Christ knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to feed everybody. And so what would be the reason to go ahead and have Philip ask him this question? 
Because we look at it and we see Philip responding and we're like, boy, he should have known that, right? Didn't he have, you know, the Bible like I have? No, he did not. He had some of it. And so we get a little bit judgmental. But I would suggest to you that oftentimes God allows something to come in your life. It might be in the form of a question like it was to Philip. It might be in the form of a trial or testing. And God, who never falls asleep, who never misses anything that goes on in this world and in your life, he knows exactly what's coming and he knows exactly what he wants the outcome to be from you. And yet he does not make you a robot. He does not dictate your response of faith or failure. He does not dictate that you will obey. He lets you choose to do that because God loves you enough to allow you to fall down sometimes. He, allow, he allows you to do that so that you can get back up. <clears throat> I can remember a lesson that I tried to teach my children when they were very, very young. We got to the age where they could comprehend and play a simple game like the game of checkers. And I can remember playing checkers with my son on a regular basis. And we'd say, here's how you do it, and here's the jumps, and, and I'd hope for him to get better. And I can remember later on when he beat, and the first time he almost beat an adult quite a bit older than him, and I was a bit pleased by that. But quite um, an important part of that training process was when I played checkers with my son, oftentimes I would beat him. Oftentimes when I would beat him. Now, do you think that I was beating him so that I could go in the next room and do a little happy dance because I beat a five-year-old at checkers? Is that why I did that? Do you think that I beat him so that I could, you know, just build my own uh, self-image up and that was what was going on? Absolutely not. I beat him because it's an important lesson in life of those that we have influence over that we teach them how to deal not just with the good but also with the bad. Can I suggest to you that Jesus knew what he was going to do And beautifully and wonderfully, he interacted with Philip on this personal level. I don't want to use the word small because it makes it sound unimportant. On this personal level, because Jesus loved Philip. And can I suggest to you, if I can just cut right to the end, that Jesus Christ knows you. And the personal picture is that he interacts with you. I was trying to think of this big picture, small picture, and how we can connect those. And I think that we oftentimes see it when we take communion. The big picture oftentimes comes when we have one of the leaders up here that's serving, and we have them pray. One will pray and thank God for the bread. One will pray and thank God for the cup. And oftentimes they will mention something like the big picture. Your shed blood to give us forgiveness. The big picture. And then I was trying to think, where do we find that personal connection? And then, of course, I went back to the many years that I've spent in the same place where you are at, holding an element in my hand. The way we do it here is we pass everything out, and people kind of wait. So you hold a little cracker in your hand for a short time. You hold a cup in your hand. And during that time, if you've never done it before, I would challenge you to be very, very personal with Jesus Christ. What's on your heart? Now, I'm not a mind reader or anything, but I know that some people have walked in here today with some things that you really don't want to talk about. 
Some of you have a host of problems. There are some addictions. There are some pain um, situations that are going on. There are some things where you have no idea what to do next. You're just in panic mode, trying anything that you can find, every resource that you have. And I would encourage you, Jesus Christ is part of the big picture, but he's also part of that personal picture with you. And so in just a moment when we pass up those elements, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you very much so to take a look at what um, he's doing personally with you. It is my contention that God loves us too much to insulate us from the trials and problems of life. He loves you too much to not allow you to go through those things because he has something amazing for you. And in order for you to go through that, you have to go through a boot camp kind of experience in life where you're stretched to your limits. Now, we find Andrew as the next character. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Well, 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them even to get a little. Then we come to verse 8, and I'm not sure how to look at Andrew. We don't know a ton about him either. I'm not sure if he's an optimist. I'm not sure if he's a problem solver. But here's what we find from Andrew. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Andrew is taught a lesson, and I think that Philip stands out quite a bit more. But these disciples had a better picture of who Jesus was than the crowd, but Jesus is still working on them. And oftentimes, God's plan for us is not something that we would have wanted. I just had a, we just took a trip as a family and went to my home area and had a wonderful time, able to spend time visiting with family. And every time I get together with a certain family, the same story or two comes up. Does that, happen with any, does that happen with anybody else? You get together with family, Christmas time, or some other holiday, and they bring up that story from 15 years ago or from 40 years ago that you all laughed about. That same story gets retold. I sat there with my Uncle Jack and my Aunt Pat, and, they, and we, were, we talked for two hours, had the most wonderful time visiting. And sure enough, after an hour and a half, they brought up this story about sugar and iced tea and how I made something that, or said something that made everybody laugh. And it's a wonderful memory. And that's why it continues to come up. But oftentimes when we look back and those things that make us smile or those things that built us into what we are today, we would have never wished them for ourselves. We would have never asked for it. And yet God knows better than we do. There are some visionaries that understand this. I read a quote uh, very recently from Henry Ford. Henry Ford said this, He said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Well, that wasn't what Ford gave us. Of course, he gave us a car. How do we apply this for ourselves? It's been peppered all throughout the message, but if you're writing these down, how am I approaching Christ today, or which group do you belong to? This big picture group? Here's the big picture. And I don't know everybody here. My experience is you get a crowd this size, there are several people who have never given their life to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you could ask for forgiveness and have eternal life. 
That's big picture. If you've never done that, I would invite you to make this the day of your salvation. Have I accepted Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world? Savior of Jeremy. And then the more personal picture. Am I anxious to let him grow me in my faith? And I, I, I worded that intentionally. Am I anxious to allow myself to be tested? You know, I've heard people say repeatedly, never pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience and God gives it to you, you're not going to like it. Well, can I suggest to you, go ahead and pray for patience. I'm not telling you to pray patience for me. I'm saying for yourself. Go ahead and pray for patience. Why? Do you think God is going to bring something into your life that is bad for you? Do you think if he takes you through a stretching time, a point where you don't know the answer, where you can't possibly see any good coming from this, or you've exhausted all of your resources and aren't able to fix it, do you think that God is going to allow something bad to happen if you're walking close by him? Absolutely not. You need to understand and you need to be anxious to allow God to grow you in your faith. Now, as we approach the cup and the bread, I have to imagine that both Philip and Andrew found themselves sometime down the road, so years after this event, and they were with a church and they were observing communion or else they're talking about what they're going to do next, the next church they're going to be at, what they'll be working on. And I have to imagine that this time right here in John chapter 6, that every once in a while maybe Andrew would nudge Philip and said, Philip, remember that bonehead question that, that you were asked? Remember that question that you thought he was really asking you? He, he, was wondering where, where, he asked you, where are you going to buy bread for all these people? And what was he going to teach us? And there was a small lesson. There was a personal lesson going on there. But what was going on is all those small personal interactions with Christ would build Philip into what he would be. They would build Philip into exactly what God needed for him to fulfill God's purpose for Philip in this world. And that's exactly what you face. And that's exactly what I face. But you have to say yes to God. You have to respond in faith and in obedience. Sometimes you'll have to say, I just don't know what to do. And sometimes that's exactly where God wants you. Big picture, small picture. Today as we approach these elements, I would encourage you to worship God in the big picture way. Thank God for his sacrifice on the cross and salvation for all mankind. But then also when you're holding one of those elements, can I just take ask you to take your mind to that personal place and thank God that he's right there with you as he stretches you through that time. I'm going to ask our men that are